Father, that's why we, we keep coming to you every week in worship, and, and actually that's why we keep holding on to you every hour of every second of every day, uh, because we know that you're the only one who gives us strength and peace and comfort to make it through. And so, Lord, that's why we come to your word now as well, um, because we know we, we need you. We'd be lost without you, and so we come because we want to hear you speak to us this morning. And so, we, Father, we pray that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. And anything that's going on in our hearts and in our minds that would distract us from hearing you speak, Lord, we just pray that you would calm it or, or push it off to the side so that we could hear you speak clearly and directly to each one of us this morning. So, Father, we do pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, in our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So, like I said, we're going through uh, just one chapter of Romans, Romans 8. And so we're looking at the first eight verses this morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned that law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So there's, I think there's probably more than two lies um, that are being told, but there are two that I hear kind of regularly and often um, being told kind of throughout our, our culture right now. And they're not new lies. I think they've been probably told for thousands of years, really. Um, and I try to talk about them quite a bit because I think it's really important for us to take some of these lies that are being told and they kind of hide out in the dark places in the shadows. And it's important for us to kind of pull them out of the shadows, bring them into the light so that we can see them for what they are. Because what ends up happening is that when lies kind of hang in the darkness and then just kind of hang around in a culture long enough, people begin to believe that these lies are actually true. And then when you believe that those lies are true, you start to live according to those lies. And then when you live according to lies, just things don't work. Um, because if you're, if you're living by lies, that means you're not living in accordance with reality. And you have to live in, in accordance with reality. And so things start to fall apart when you live by lies. And so I think it's a major task of a pastor to take some of these lies that are in our culture, 
pull them out into the light and say, here's what they are, and, uh, and here's why they're not true. And so one lie um, that I've been talking about a lot lately, and so you're maybe sick of me talking about it, but I'm going to keep talking about it, um, is that we are strong, um, right? We're told that all the time. Uh, we're told that we have these like reserves of strength just deep down inside of us. And like if you just set your mind to it and dig down deep within you, you can do whatever you want to do. And, uh, and what you need to do, like the only reason you're not strong enough to do certain things is just you don't actually realize the strength within you. So you have to just like look deeper within yourself. You need to tell yourself how strong you are every day. And then you'll just unlock you know, unlock your true strength and potential. And that's a lie. Um, here's, here's how God describes humanity. Um, in particular, humanity in our, in our sinful condition. We read in our passage, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And so I, I need to explain a little bit. Um, you know, we... Before we read a different translation, this is the ESV, um, but, but it, it, what does it mean by the flesh, right? When we talk about flesh today, we're talking about like skin, right, um, and, our, and our bodies. And that's not really what, when, when you read through the book of Romans and he talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our bodies, he's talking about more of our being, um, kind of at the core of who we are is our flesh, and it's our being that's corrupted by sin in particular, and so you kind of see in this passage, he talks about there's the spirit and there's the flesh, right? We have these two things going on. And the flesh is this inner nature that's been completely corrupted by sin. And, and it, he calls it the flesh because that corruption acts like, like leaven, right? The Bible says like you put a little leaven in a batch of dough and it spreads through the whole batch of dough, right? And so we have this kind of corruption that's kind of at the core of our being and then what does that do? It just begins to kind of spread throughout all of us. And it changes the way we talk and we act and, and the way we live in the world. And because that's just affecting every part of us, it says you can't actually follow the law. You can't follow the Ten Commandments because you're not strong enough to do that. Um, and it actually kind of takes like a shot at us and says, we're actually so weak that the law is weakened by our weakness. <laughs> like, you're so weak that you make the law weak. And, and it goes on, so it says, you're, we're not that strong. And it actually, he just says it really clearly um, toward the end of the passage. He says, the mind that is set on the flesh, right, that kind of that corrupt, sinful nature that's in us, does not submit to God's law. And then it says, indeed, it cannot. It cannot do it. It's impossible to do that. It doesn't matter like how much like you try to just muster up your own strength and like today I will be strong enough and I will live according to the Ten Commandments that God has told me to live in the world. It says you cannot do it. It doesn't matter how much you tell yourself. You can get up in the morning and you can look yourself in the mirror and you can say I will be a I will live according to the law today. I will follow, I will do it today. It says, you can't do it. You cannot do it. You're not strong enough. You will never be able to submit 
to God's law or follow God's law in and of yourself because you're just not strong enough. So that's one lie. Here's the second lie, and it kind of, they, they fit nicely together. We're all basically good people. Um, that we're told this all the time, right? Like we, we, we wa- when you're walking through the grocery store, you're walking through Walmart, everybody that you're running into, and actually you probably realize as you're walking through Walmart, you're like, maybe they're not all basically good because they're, they're kind of like bugging me, right? But, but either way, not a shot at Walmart, just my own sinful nature. Um, <laughs> but like we're told, you just everybody you run into, they're all basically good, right? And um, we were talking about this last night in my house. I, uh, a while ago, I, I read a, a Joel Osteen book because I wanted to know like what he was teaching because I had heard a bunch of not good things about him, and I thought I should read what he's saying so I can actually critique him rightly. And in his book, he had said, we all have seeds of goodness inside of us. And I'm like, no. And we're told that because, like, so the world says because we're all basically good, like, why do bad things happen in the world, right? Because if we're all basically good on the inside, why do bad things happen? Well, it's because of the way you were raised as a kid. That's why bad things happen. It's because the society you grew up in, that's because of bad things, why bad things are happening. And if we just could, like, educate people and kind of unlock the goodness, and if we could pour a little water on the seeds of goodness that are inside of them and educate them and, you know, put them in the proper situation, then we would just kind of live in a, in a utopia. But that, we know that that's not true. It's never happened. It's never worked in the history of humanity. Has there ever been a utopia? Because guess what? That sin is right here in, in every one of us. And, and we're told that in this passage. God says that the, our sinful nature, this kind of corrupted sinful nature, is hostile to God. I mean, that's that doesn't sound like basically good. It's not like, like you kind of don't, like I'm just kind of turned off a little bit about the things of God or whatever. No, it's hostile to God. And hostile to all of the things of God as well, right? I mean, God's law and all of that, they kind of flow out of his being. And so if you're, you're hostile to God, then you're hostile to anything that has to do with God. Everything he stands for. And not only that, it says that those who are in the flesh, those who have this kind of sinful, corrupt nature, cannot please God. I mean, that's hard to hear. And it's difficult to hear, but it's very clear and definitive. In the sinful nature, in this corrupt sinful nature that's kind of at the core of who we are as humans, we're born with it, you cannot please God. It's impossible to do that. Um, which reminds us that we're not all basically good. It's just, that's not who we are. And, and that puts us in a pretty tough position, <laughs> right? Because we, we okay, so I'm, I'm not strong enough to follow God's law. And at the core, I, I don't really actually love God. I act, I'm actually hostile to God. But, but God has this thing where he did give us the law, the Ten Commandments, and said, Here's how you're supposed to live. And now you're telling me that I'm not strong enough to live that way and I'm not good enough to live that way. And it says, yeah, that's what Scripture's telling you. And you kind of end up in this, this kind of 
nasty spiral where you're like continually falling further and further away from God and his goodness. And you can't do anything about it. You're not strong enough or good enough to do anything about it. Um, and, and another way, so, so scripture talks about our sin in a couple different ways. It talks about how our sin causes a separation from us and God, but it also talks about sin being this debt that we owe. Like that every time we sin, we're kind of racking up more debt and more debt. I always use the analogy that like every sin is like swiping your credit card going further and further and further and further into debt. Um, and you think student loan debt is crushing people. Um, that debt of sin is weighing on all of humanity, um, crushing people. And, uh, and we're reminded that you, what are you going to do about that? Like, you're not strong enough to save yourself from that. You're not good enough to live and get yourself out of it. You're just trapped, right? I mean, think about that. That's the condition of the world. We kind of, like some of you have grown up in the church your whole life. You've heard this your whole life. And, but we don't let that sink in that as you walk through the world, that's what's going on for all those who are outside of Christ. Not strong enough to save yourself. Your family's not strong enough to save yourself. The government, society, nobody's strong enough to save you, or to pay that debt. It's a pretty hopeless situation. It's an extremely hopeless situation. Um, which is why the gospel is such powerful good news. Because apart from the gospel, you're stuck. You've got nothing, and there's no hope in the world. But the gospel comes in, and it says there, there's two things you need to, to be right with God. On the one hand, you need to have the, your sins forgiven, right? You need that debt to be paid. But on the other hand, you need to have righteousness. You need to be able, like, you're not just called to not do bad things. You're called to actually live and do good things. So you need that righteousness. So you don't need just a zero bank account. You actually need money in the bank. And we're told you can't do that, right? You can't forgive your own sins, and you're not strong enough or good enough to, to live righteous and put money in the bank for yourself. And so the gospel comes in and says, what you could not do and what the law could not do, God did for you. That's powerful. Jesus did it all. He paid all of those in our place. And actually, this passage reminds us that it's not just Jesus, but the triune God was at work. You, you'll read, I don't have it up on the screen, but you'll read that the Father sent his Son into the world who now filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we could have this complete salvation so that everything needed for us to be saved and redeemed of our sins was taken care of by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and we see kind of those, those two aspects I said. We need forgiveness and we need righteousness, right? We need our debt paid and we need money in the bank. Both of them are talked about in this passage. We, it says that the Father sent His Son in, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So He did two things when He sent Jesus into the world. He sent Him in the likeness of sinful flesh and He sent Him for sin. And, and the last part, we, we're all pretty comf comfortable with. We hear it a lot. That Jesus came and died for our sins, right? 
He died for the forgiveness of our sins. That as he hung there on the cross, he was paying the penalty of our sin. Like we deserve to be in that spot because of our sin. We deserve that death. And he took our place on the cross and he paid off our credit card bill and said, your bank account is now at zero because of his death. Like we, we get that part, but we don't talk about the other part where we need the, the money in the bank or the, the righteousness. And, and it talks about that when it says that Jesus came in the, <clears throat> in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice how, how it kind of describes how Jesus came. Did it say he came in sinful flesh? No, he didn't come. Jesus didn't, he wasn't born with that corrupt, sinful nature that we're born with. He was born without that. He came like us, like in a, he came as a human, in a human nature, but he wasn't born with that corrupted, sinful nature. And because of that, he's the only person in the history of humanity that was strong enough and good enough to live according to God's law. And then he lived his entire life perfectly following God's law so that when he died, not only he forgave our sins, but then his perfect life was now just deposited in our account. So that not only did his, was his death in your place to for, forgive your sins, but his life was also in your place. And so he wiped out all of your debt, forgave all of your sin, and then his life was credited to your account and gave you more than enough money in the bank to be right with God. It's really a powerful truth that when God looks at you in Christ, He says your sins have been completely forgiven and I see Jesus' perfect life in you. And you go, I'm not perfect. (laughs) And you're like, that's why you need Jesus. But it's important it's important to notice how, how Paul, the Apostle Paul in this chapter, he, he words certain things. Um, because it can get kind of confusing because you can start asking, okay, then, then who is it that receives the forgiveness of Jesus? And who is it that receives the righteousness? Like how do you receive that forgiveness and that righteousness? And, and, and Paul words it in kind of an interesting way here. He says, right, so Jesus came so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. So who's it fulfilled in? He describes them. Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, And that could be confusing, right? Because you can look at that and you can go, wait, is that saying that I get the forgiveness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus if I live a certain way? If If I follow the law, can I earn that? Well, no, because Paul just got done saying, you're not strong enough and you're not good enough to live that way. <laughs> and so you can't earn that salvation because you just can't. You're, you're not strong enough or good enough to do it. So, so how do you get that forgiveness? How do you get that righteousness? Well, he, earlier in the book he says this very clearly. And it kind of explains, um, connects with what we've been talking about. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Every single human being from the fall of Adam and Eve till right now, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and has this corrupt, sinful nature inside of them. But then he says, then they're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
And he said, that's how you receive the forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ. You receive it by faith. Not by living a certain way, not by acting a certain way. You receive that by faith. We trust in those things by faith. You grab hold of Jesus' life and grab hold of Jesus' death, and you trust that they're enough to save you and bring you into heaven. And you live every day by that faith. Remember, we, we just talked about that in Habakkuk, this, that the righteous will live by his faith. And that's how you receive that forgiveness. That's how you receive that righteousness. But, but then notice how, even how Habakkuk worded that, right? That the righteous don't have, it's not that they just have faith once. They do what? They live by their faith. And, and we talked about that when I preached on this passage that um, really what they're saying is those people who've been made righteous, right? They've been forgiven and made righteous by their faith will then continue to live every day by that same faith, right? That there's something that happens when, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ he cuts right down to the core and he changes you at your very being. He takes, the Bible says he takes your heart of stone and he rips it out and he gives you a new heart of flesh. Or to connect it to with what we're talking about in Romans 8, he takes your, your weak and hostile and non-pleasing heart to God and he pulls that out and he gives you a new heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to now begin to live according to him. But you're, you're changed at your core by faith in Christ. And, and it says that in our passage. It says, the law of the spirit of life has done what? Set you free from the law of sin and death. And so there's this, we have to make sure we get this, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness, we receive righteousness, then he cuts to the core of that sinful nature and he cuts it off and says, it has no power over you anymore. You've been set free. And then you can please God. Then you actually can begin to live according to his law. Then you're no longer hostile to him and you can follow him because that kind of sinful nature has been broken and removed. And that's why when in that previous passage, that's why when Paul says that those who receive that forgiveness, they walk according to the spirit because he's saying, the only people who can walk according to the Spirit are those who've had their hearts changed by faith in Christ. The only way you can ever live this way is to look to Christ, receive His forgiveness, receive His righteousness, and then have the Holy Spirit in you working to actually live the way He's called you to live. And, and what happens is, you know, earlier I'd say we have this kind of sinful, corrupt nature that functions like leaven and kind of spreads throughout our whole body and affects everything. Well, guess what? When you, when you look to Christ in faith and you're redeemed and you're saved, that functions like leaven and that begins to kind of spread throughout every part of your body. And it, you begin to talk differently. You begin to act differently. You go to work differently. You raise your family differently. It affects everything that we do. And that's really part of a warning um, that Paul's giving in this passage. And it's a pretty stark warning. And it, it can be... Uh, it can kind of knock people on their heels a little bit. Um, but what he's really saying is, you cannot be saved and still live according to your sinful nature. You cannot be saved and still go on living like the rest of the world that is not saved. Um, 
because you've been set free. The, 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 if you have true faith, it cuts the, ground, the legs out from under your sinful nature. And so you can't go on living like that anymore because your being has been changed. And so the warning that, that comes in this, and, and it's, not po- I don't, it's not popular to say, and it even makes me uncomfortable to say it, but I'm going to say it because, well, God's word says it. Um, but if you think that you've been saved by Jesus and forgiven and redeemed by him, but your life has not changed, and you're living just like the rest of the world who's not, who's not saved, you might not actually be saved. That's really hard to say. Um, but I don't want to lie. And I don't want you to be fooled in that. that. That scripture teaches that a true faith changes you at your core. It changes the things that you love and that you desire and the things that you do. And so, and so you, if, if your life hasn't changed at all, you need to consider whether you have a true faith. Because if you just keep setting your mind on, on the sinful nature and the sinful things of the world and you just kind of keep rolling down that road, it just leads to death and destruction and no peace. Um, and so what you need to do if you're feeling convicted of that in this moment, the, the answer is not to go home and just live and feel guilty about it. The solution is repent, believe. Trust in Jesus Christ. He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you his righteousness. He'll, he'll change your heart so that you can live and follow him. And he'll give you peace and life. Now I realize I can say that that starkly and that can be easily misunderstood. Like, did Pastor Rice just try to say that Christians should be perfect? <laughs> Not in a million years. And if you hang around me for a little while and you'll know. Just ask my kids. They will tell you how imperfect. Ask my wife too. Um, they will tell you how imperfect I am. Um, and that's not what I'm saying. Throughout scripture it says, it describes the Christian life as this battle with sin. See, you, you've got this sinful nature inside of you and then you become a Christian and you follow Jesus and now he gives you this kind of spiritual nature. So you have the, the Holy Spirit in you, and guess what he does? There's this like wrestling match going on inside of you. The sinful nature is saying, go do this, and the Spirit's like, no, and they're fighting. And you can feel that wrestling match inside of you, can't you? Right? All the cartoons have the little devil on the one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder. Um, that's like going on inside of you. That's why it's a, a thing. And, and even, even the Apostle Paul said this right before, right before he said all of this. He says, I look at my life and I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing, right? And you feel that. Like, ah, I want to do this and I just, I don't ever do this. And there's this bad thing over here and I'm trying to stay away from it and I just keep falling back into it. But it's a wrestling match is the life of the Christian. And, uh, and sometimes you just can get despairing because there's those certain sins in your life you just can't, ah, like pride, right? It's just there all the time. And you just, man, I can't get rid of that. Or if you grew up on a farm, there's words that come out of your mouth when you hit your hand with a hammer, right? They're really hard. My, my dad always said, he said, I quit drinking, I quit smoking, I did all that. But cussing is just, it's always there, right? And so that one just reminds you that you've got a long ways to go. Which is why, like, you could feel depressed and beat down by that, but that's why Paul starts his chapter off 
and says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's powerful. That, that for all those who have looked to Jesus in, in true faith and all those who, who have received his forgiveness and all those who have received his righteousness, there's this big sign plastered on your heart that says, no condemnation there. None. And it says you've been set free. And of course you're going to continue to struggle with sin in your life, but you're going to struggle with sin in your life as someone who's got no condemnation on them. And that's a way different fight. Try to fight a battle feeling condemned, and you will lose every time. And God came in and he said, there's no condemnation in your life now, so now you fight. Fight the sin in your life, and I'll give you strength through the Holy Spirit. And, and that's really part of the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Okay, a, a Christian, a non-Christian will come to this passage and say, Whew, no condemnation in Christ? I could do whatever I want to do. I could go live however I want to live. I can just, I just do my thing. And if that's going on inside of you, like, phew, no condemnation, I can just do whatever I want to do, um, you're probably not a Christian. You need to check that. You need to come to God and check that um, and question whether you have true faith. And if you're convicted by that, again, the, the response is not to just continue feeling guilty about it because that's going to do you nothing. Continuing to beat yourself up doesn't save you either. The solution is repent. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've lived like an idiot. Like, save me. Forgive me. I trust you. Please free me from this. And then live by faith. And live as someone who's got no condemnation on your forehead. Because what the Christian does is they read this and they go, no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. All of that sin that I used to be doing that was killing me and, and everybody around me, thank you, Jesus, that's not hanging over my head anymore. Now I'm free. I can actually live. I don't have to live every day feeling weighed down and guilty. I can actually look to you. I can actually live the way you've created me to live. I can actually do the things you've called me to do, and I'm not just weighing, being weighed down every day. I'm actually free to follow you. And that's the life of a Christian, and and that's the power of realizing that there's no condemnation over your head if you've looked to Christ in faith. Um, because it frees you from all of that guilt that just crushes you and actually prevents you from, from living the life that you've been created to live. Um, it's a reminder for us to just kind of keep on keeping on, right? Because you're going you're gonna to fail. And you're going to do it regularly. <laughs> and, and so you're going to be like walking through the woods. You're going to trip over some sin and you're going to fall and you're going to skin your knee up. And you could just sit there and wallow in self-pity and be like, God dang it, I fell again. I'm such an idiot. I, I messed up. I'm... And he says, there's no condemnation over you. Stop. You know, this is the dad in me. Stop wallowing in self-pity. Get yourself up and start walking again. And that's what he says. There's no condemnation for you. You fell. Ask my forgiveness and then move on and, and keep fighting sin. Do it again. And you're going to mess up again? Get over it. Ask for forgiveness. Go again. And you just keep living that life out free, not having to live in fear.
walking, and you keep pressing, no condemnation over you. So you just keep your eyes on Jesus, and you just keep taking the next step, and the next step, and the next step, resting in his forgiveness. Let's come to him in prayer. Father, we are so thankful, so grateful for the work that you've done. As we're reminded of that the work that we could not do and the work that the law could not do, you did for us. And we're just grateful for that. And Father, we do come to you and we confess. We confess our sin that we often try to think that we're strong enough, we think that we're good enough, we think that we can save ourselves, and then we try to live that way and just make a mess out of everything. And so, Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. But more than that, Father, we don't just want your forgiveness. We want to be forgiven, but we also want to be set free, and we want to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live the life that you've called us to live. And so do that work in our hearts, Lord. And If there are certain areas of our life where we've been sinning and sinning and sinning and just struggling with that, Lord, come in, we pray, and just cut that off and break us free from that. Give us freedom, we pray, in the Spirit. And surround us with people who will support us and and carry us through and help us to overcome those destructive aspects of our life. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you and doesn't have a true faith in you, Lord, we do pray that you would prick them to the core, to their heart, that they could know you they could receive the, know the peace and the assurance that comes from receiving your forgiveness, receiving your righteousness, and walking in peace and hope and life in you each day. And so, Lord, um, but that's a reminder for all of us that we all need to grab hold of you every day and live each day by faith. And all God's people said, amen.